Welcome, everyone, to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Roberts, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Virginia. I am so excited because this <laughs> today has been long in waiting since I went to Ocean's Church off of Bacon, Irvine, and I remember listening to the first message that Pastor Mark gave, and I messaged you mid-surface, and I was did. like, you need to come here, and you need to talk to these pastors, so <laughs> I'm so excited. Thank you so much, Pastor Mark and Rochelle. Thank you. We are so excited to be here. We're honored, Natalie. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. <laughs> I'm so thankful you were able to carve time out to come and have this conversation with us. Any opportunity I have to sit down and speak with a pastor, I'm thankful mm. because there's so much confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in every institution. Yeah. And certainly the church is no exception. It's mm. a matter of fact, yeah. besides civil government, the halls of worship yeah. are a controversial place. There's just a measure of insanity that appears to be crushing the heart and soul of our nation. And yeah. it seems to have happened specifically in the course. It's been coming for a long time, mm. but the destruction that we are witnessing mm. or the exposure of evil, perhaps, that we're witnessing in the last two or three years are chilling. And it's causing people an enormous amount of confusion, chaos, and dis-ease. Yeah. And I feel like we just cannot stand by and say and do nothing. Mm. Natalie sent me one of your messages a few days ago. Mm. I think you have a lot to say about this subject and perhaps come at it from a perspective that we don't have the privilege of hearing very often. Mm. But very specific themes in your last message, and I'll get to that in a minute, I wanted you to touch on. But what are your thoughts about what I just said? Yeah, I think without a doubt, there's such a transition happening right now in the world. And it does seem like what was private 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and maybe a, a smaller quantity is front and center. And it's obvious out in the open. It seems like the the confidence of the principalities, powers, rulers, the dark stuff in our world has become much more overt than covert, even in my yes. lifetime. Mm -hmm. Even I feel like what you look at on television, the TV shows that we were raised on, I mean, even from, from a 50, 60-year-old to a 40, 30-year-old to now, it's like the moral compass of our land has has shifted almost like an avalanche into this low moral place that now we're living in a world kind of described by in Romans chapter one mm -hmm. that we're calling good bad and bad good and it just seems like humanity's caving in on itself because we're pushing God out and so I do think that uh, yeah America's in a in a in a decline right now a moral decline. I think the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Mm. And the only one that can solve that type of issue is the God that made it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I really do believe there's something about awakening people to the love of God, the reality of God, that causes humanity to be itself, what it was created to be. Well, instinctively, I think people listening to us right now, whether they're Christians or not, or 
Buddhist or whatever their religious orientation is, I think everybody accepts the fact that something is very seriously wrong. And there's a violation of conscience here. Thank God we have a conscience. And when that conscience is triggered, that's an indication that we were meant for more than this by something. Totally. Because you can see the pain and you can see the free fall we are in and the consequence is devastating. Absolutely. I see it behind closed doors as I'm sure... Mm-hmm. Both of you do as well. Yes. While you were speaking, I thought the consequence of small compromises are devastating. Absolutely. It's like dying the death of, what do they say, a thousand or a million little paper cuts. And mm-hmm. before you know it, you are hemorrhaging. Yeah. And you gave a message about the rats. Mm-hmm. And I found it so compelling. And so for the bulk of this podcast, what I'd like to you to do if you don't mind referencing your notes if you yeah. would and share with our listening audience what those rats represent and i'll tell you why i was so compelled by it dr charles Kraft was a mentor yeah. and a friend for many many years he was a cultural anthropologist taught at ucla for 15 years and then ended up at fuller as you know do you know dr Kraft? Yeah. yes okay so he poured so much into me and he was instrumental in me stepping into that space yeah. 10 15 years ago and speaking about the conflicts in the, in the realm that most of us can sense, but we don't know how to talk about, which is yeah. in the spiritual realm. Yeah. But he's the first one that said, Virginia, this is very simple. It's like a house that is full of junk and yeah. it's been mismanaged mm-hmm. and it's full of trash. And eventually, if you go into that house and it isn't managed, rats feast on it and dwell in those places. And not just rats, but all kinds of rodents. And if you get rid of the trash, right, the rats will go. Now, we know when a house is infested with rats, those rats can go deep into deep, deep places and we have to engage other transactions. But for the sake of today, I'd like you to explain that analogy in the context of your message, eight rats that affect our lives. Yeah, I was talking kind of about Ephesians in the Bible during my lecture. Paul talks about how there's basically he's given a farewell address to the troops and he essentially looks at these these Ephesians and he says, look, we're in a dark world at a dark time. And he basically goes on the record to say that we got to put on the armor of God. And he talks about why we put on the armor. And there's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the sword of the spirit, all these things. But then he goes on, he says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, Mm -hmm. against powers, against rulers in heavenly realms. And so we know even, you know, Hebrews talks about that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that what we see is actually made of things that aren't actually visible to the eye. So there is a kind of a dimension that obviously we all know. You listen to music, you you watch a movie, there's something about atmospheres. You go into a, you know, a dark environment, people are doing dark things. Even if you don't believe in God, you can sense something isn't right here. And the opposite is true, right? You go into a a church, you go to some environment that's, you know, a symphony and you're listening to something, there's something in music that moves us, that touches us. And there's something about atmospheres that we're wired with this, Mm -hmm. the sense there's a peace that I can't put my finger on. There's a joy that I can't put my finger on. And so I think that, you know, I walked through this message and essentially broke down that it is possible to be a good human being, 
but to actually have bondage, whether it be generational, that we were raised in dysfunction, using your analogy or, or his analogy, we were raised in a rat-infested home mm. where people world. lied. In the a rat right? Yes. We're, we're in a world full of it, exactly. Yeah. And so essentially we talked about that whether it's generationally inherited or maybe it's through your own decisions, both good or bad, that there very well could be a open door that we give darkness in audience. You kind of use the analogy that, you know, I don't personally theologically believe that if you have given your heart and if you're full of God, that you can be possessed by an evil or a dark spirit. Mm -hmm. I use the analogy often of, you know, if you own this house, no one can actually make, make you move out of this house. You own it. But if someone broke in the door right now and you left the door open hypothetically, they could come in here. But the moment you came home, especially with your, your guard dog, <laughs> grateful to yeah. get bit today from the guard dog. Uh, but that, Olympus, yeah, by Olympus, the way. Yeah, yeah, well, a fitting name. Um, but Olympus would make sure that, hey, look, you might be in my house, but you don't own this house. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's essentially what we were teaching on is that when you give your life to God, the enemy, the rats, the darkness, the evil spirit, whatever it is, you can give it legal access into your life, whether it be you're messing with dark things, you start messing with this, you know, crystals and some of the, the occult issues that are out in our world today, satanic seances and practices and witchcraft. Well, it's overt now, right? Before it was yes. questionable, but now it's all out in the open. And it really is. First satanic conference in Boston. Wow. Yeah, it was wild. It took place. That was wild. Mm. Well, in the first, and I think sometimes people even unknowingly are opening up these doors. You know, Anton LaVey, you know, the author of the Satanic Bible. I met him. Did you really? Yeah, wow. met him and his dad. Wow. Mm. I remember reading, you know, obviously stories about him, but, you know, the first law in the Satanic Bible is do as thou will. That's right. So whatever you want to do. So there's something in our humanity and in our independence in our own rebellion. Yeah. I heard one scholar say that Romans 1 is almost like... It describes humanity caving in on itself when it doesn't give God the credit as the creator. It almost takes this idea, all the academics love this, that no one likes the feeling of being plagiarized. Mm. I worked hard to write that paper. I worked hard to fabricate that idea. Not only that, it is the essence of who I am. At rest, we talk about the Trinitarian constitution of Mm. all things is the the fingerprint of God Mm. on humanity. We're a spirit, soul, and body. Yeah, exactly. Spirit, you're right. And I'm not going to get into that. We talk about this in all these podcasts, but hearing you speak just gives me goosebumps because the violation of conscience and the small compromises that get a generation and, and, and lead a nation mm-hmm. into the pit we find ourselves in yeah. is not unique in history. Yeah. We don't have anything to panic about. We have something to respond to. Sure. And I think about the movie, The Sound of Freedom. We did a little segment on that that mm-hmm. came out. And when I think of the resistance for five years yeah. to the release of that movie, yeah. I think this can't be so, right. except I have spoken to people that fought the fight, that sure. showed up yeah. and financed this movie and did everything they could to make sure that it would see the day of light. Mm-hmm. But you address specific obstacles to freedom. 
and specific ways that those rats manifest themselves. It's so subtle. Deception is subtle. But I wonder if you could talk about these encroachments, because I think it explains how we got here. And it'll give something very practical to our listening audience as to what they can do today. So if you're listening to the podcast, I'd like to ask you to please go get a piece of paper and get a pencil in hand or a pen, preferably. And you're going to want to write this. Think about every single point Pastor Mark and Pastor Rochelle are going to be making. And you are going to want to think and pray on this. Yeah. Regardless of your convictions. It's amazing. So so cool. No, we're, we're honored to do that, Virginia. And it's impacted Rochelle and I's life, yeah. the way that we live. And we've been mentored by some of Rochelle's parents are unbelievable leaders and theologians and historians. And so I felt like we were really, really blessed to learn, like you said, maybe mm-hmm. what took others 35, 40. I, my PhD is in prayer, healing and deliverance. <laughs> and we talked about, you know, in this message about Really, the eight rats that manifest in people's lives are usually first. There's kind of the rat that's that's geographical. It's the it's the rat of principalities. Mm. Principalities would be the executive branch of the dark kingdom. This would be kind of the top at the top. The Bible talks about almost like geopolitical borders. You know, Daniel talks about a battle that lasted 21 days. That Michael, the archangel, said, "We heard your prayer." But there was a fight going on with the prince of Persia in the heavenly realm. Mm. And we know that darkness, actually, a lot of times it's assigned to regions. That's why every every mm-hmm. city, Rochelle's really sensitive even to this. If you go into a region, you can just kind of feel. You go to oh, Los Angeles. Completely. Oh, yeah. It's totally different. different. So different. Mm-hmm. Oh. In Orange County, you cross over the, the barrier. It's different. San Diego County. And you know what I've heard people say now? Things I've never heard. I've been in Orange County almost 40 years now, right? Mm. But I'm hearing people say things like, I don't belong here. There's Mm. something snobbish. There's something Mm. rigid. They even describe what you feel and what I feel, by the way. They don't see the dirtiness even. They're desensitized to the fact that it's like two different worlds almost Mm. when you cross a certain section of the 405 yeah Yeah. no absolutely and there's something i think that what like rochelle this is what she's so good at is i think identifying what is the principality in the region that you're in Mm -hmm. you described it in orange county it would be pride Mm -hmm. which is connected to self it's Mm -hmm. self i'm the one i'm the master i'm the one that made myself Mm -hmm. and usually where there's high levels of pride there's high levels of greed Mm -hmm. and there's high level of high levels of perversion isn't that amazing that people can identify it even though they're not believers, they're not Christians. They yes. identify the pride, they identify yeah. the greed, they identify the perversion. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. And usually if you want to know what the principality is of your region, you go no further than your police department and you mm-hmm. say, what are the top crimes in this region? Mm-hmm. Orange County has the number one highest divorce rate. Mm-hmm. out of any county in America. Wow. So and sad. so you find, okay, what is it? Well, it's pride, which is, it's hard to give your best to your spouse when you're self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you marriage isn't 50-50, it's 100-100. Mm-hmm. And so divorce is obviously connected to this pride, which is connected to greed. I'm going to do what I want, yep. make myself happy. Right. And then also with the opulence, there comes perversion that I don't want to just do what I, everybody else does. I'm going to do what kings do. I'm going to do what queens do. 
and then you kind of create this other other realm. So the first thing that we talked about was just this idea that there are there are geographical and even in the story in the Bible about when Jesus evicts legion and the demons basically say, hey, don't make us leave this region. Mm-hmm. They wanted to go into the pigs. Right. Why did they want to go in the pigs? It wasn't to prolong their life. They didn't want to leave that region. Right. And so what, again, I'll, I'll let Rochelle speak to this, but there's something about prayer and we don't, again, as Christians, and that's my forte, obviously, is, mm-hmm. is I teach people about God and the Bible and how to stand but we teach people you don't you don't attack principalities individually. That's the executive branch. That's the top order of darkness. So you do that in a corporate setting. There is a darkness that has swept through America. Geographical strongholds. Talk about the eight rats that creep in and manifest themselves, starting with fear. fear. Yes. Because I believe that it's these other smaller compromises that usher in these territorial strongholds. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, And you can tell because there's destruction in one community Mm -hmm. and you drive literally two blocks and it's like you stepped into a different world or two miles down the freeway and it's like, what just happened? I feel like I left a third world country. Yeah. Mm. Well, I really get coming from my context as a pastor and Mm -hmm. just theologically, I think that if you don't fear God, you'll fear everything else. Mm -hmm. There's something in the fear of God that actually eliminates the smaller rats of life. And, you know, the Bible talks about how God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound Sound mind. mind. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. It says the only thing that cures fear is perfect love. And so even the opposite of fear actually isn't faith. It's, it's love. It's perfect love that drives out all fear. And so I think there's something in knowing not just who you are, but whose you are that creates an identity that casts out that rat of fear. Mm -hmm. You can obviously feed fear. Fear is a inferior faith. Once one theologian said that fear is, is faith in reverse. It's a, in some ways, it's the same evidence of the future. It's just in the inferior. So fear is a, it's a, it's a, it's a preferred future that hasn't happened yet mm-hmm. that you're constructing in your mind that isn't necessarily true, but you're putting your confidence in something that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. It's when your child shows up late and you're like, they must have gotten a car accident and they must be on the side of the road. And, and you're letting your, your holy imagination, so to speak, go to a worst case preferred mm-hmm. future. When faith is the opposite, mm-hmm. it's actually believing that God is good and that it's, you know, faith is a substance of things hoped for. Yes. Fear is a substance of things worried about. Mm-hmm. And so I find where people that usually struggle with the highest levels of fear are usually a lot of times the ones with the lowest levels of faith. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to those that are listening that go, well, I, I don't, I, I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm too smart to believe in a God. I think it takes more faith in some ways to believe there is no God. If you knew the modalities we use mm-hmm. to help people heal and step into freedom. Yes. The question is always, wow, how did you learn this stuff? And are you a Christian? Mm-hmm. Or are you a believer? Or then, well, I don't know if I believe in God. They'll make a comment about God or ask sure. about God or make a statement against God. Mm-hmm. 
but our very anatomy bears witness of what you're saying. Yeah. We're made in his image, spirit, soul, and body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I do think that what you what you fear is usually connected to what you honor the most. Mm-hmm. And if, if most people, the biggest thing in their life is death, you'll be scared of everything. But if you fear a God that holds time and eternity in his hands, mm-hmm. there's nothing temporary. And there's something about the presence of eternity that drives out the temporary fears. So I found that people so get good. stuck in the bondage. They feed the rats of fear. And if you feed the the rats of fear long enough, it'll lead to the second rat, which is heaviness. According to the Bible, the Bible says it's the spirit of heaviness. And we all know, maybe you're watching or listening and you're like, I don't know if I believe in spirits. Well, we've all been there before that you listen to a song and you can feel your soul, your emotions get impacted by, and you listen to that heavy, dark music and you want to go lift weights or you want to. You know, whatever it is, you want to dance, you put a, you know, it's funny how, whether it's music or it's a movie or Sometimes it feeds rage and anger. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it generates fe- tears. Yeah. But so I think one of the biggest things yeah. I've learned is that we are not what we think. Mm-hmm. We'll become what we entertain long enough, but not every thought that goes through your head belongs to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where in part, a lot of our problems in the society is right now. Mm-hmm. And I usually use the analogy if a garbage truck drops off their trash in your yard, just because it's in your yard doesn't make it your trash. Mm. The Bible talks about how there's a lust or there's a sin in our flesh. Mm. Our flesh nature is our lower nature. We're born under a fallen state. Jack Haver was a great Bible teacher, and he said that you can't cast out your fallen nature, and you can't mm. disciple demons, that you have to take authority over darkness or dark spirits, mm-hmm. and you have to take discipline over the areas that our mind and our soul can be rewired in. Your will, right? Your, your will, will, your exactly. conscience. Yeah, you use your conscience to activate your will, to manage your feelings, exactly. right? To guard your heart. Exactly. And people, I think, yeah. sometimes will sit in fear or they'll sit in a preferred future that's, that's hopeless, mm. that they'll get heavy. And, you know, it talks about in Isaiah 61, there's a spirit of heaviness but the good news is, is it refers, you know, to, that's talking about sadness or sorrow. People that kind of live in perpetual despair. I have nothing to look forward to. You, you live in a mansion. You have all these things, but you're empty on the inside. You have a beautiful spouse, beautiful kids. And they say if, you know, Hollywood was the happiest place in the world, no one would be committing suicide. Right. You can marry the model. You can have the fame. You can have everything and still be spiritually bankrupt. Right. And it creates a heaviness, a sorrow But it says that the antidote to this spirit of heaviness is actually the garment of praise. There's something about getting your eyes off of you and getting your eyes on the God that made you that lifts this rat. This stops feeding that rat of despair and it begins to put faith in your soul. Wow. That's the best explanation of depression without ever using the word depression that I've ever heard. Yep. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. Next one. Jealousy. Jealousy is uh, <clears throat> obviously it talks about a numbers five fourteen that I, I used in our, our speech or my lecture. It's in kind of the context of adultery in the law of Moses, but it's not obviously just applied there. It's applied to all different areas of life. It's basically when you realize that you don't have to live suspicious or envious of other people, mm. that no one else is a threat to your success. I think most people that get jealous. They have a very small supply and demand mindset. 
that if someone else has something good happen to them, there's less good in the world. Scarcity mentality. Scarcity. Mm-hmm. Exactly what it is. I think that the, the biggest thing with that idea is that God isn't limited like the economists teach us. Mm-hmm. That if there's eight pieces of pizza and Johnny gets one and Susie gets one, there's, there's, there's two less slices for you. We, we, we believe in a God that can multiply loaves and bread. So there's something about, I think, breaking off that jealousy that tries to control people, mm-hmm. tries to control circumstances, and it actually refuses to celebrate in confidence that I have all that I need and I can do everything that I need to do in life that God's asked me, called me to. And when I need more, it'll come to me to do what I need to accomplish. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. Exactly. Okay. When God gives you a dream, he supplies the resources to fulfill that dream. Absolutely. Because with that dream comes a sense of purpose and destiny. Mm-hmm. And he's not cruel in those ways. Yeah. God if only you, funds his ideas, right? That's yeah. right, yeah. Natalie. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. Yeah. When welcome. it's his will, it's his bill. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anger. Anger. Jealousy leads to it, doesn't yeah. it? Absolutely. People I feel like that struggle with jealousy are usually people that are embittered by rage and anger. The Bible talks about it is a spirit. You know, Mm -hmm. 1 Samuel 18, 89 talks about how Saul, this this basically insecure, jealous Mm -hmm. king, he was jealous. Mm -hmm. And he was jealous for so long of this up and coming kid in his kingdom that he got angry. And the Bible actually says you can be angry and not sin. So we know that anger in and of itself is not an emotion that we're not supposed to have. Jesus got angry. You know, he turned money changers tables over in the temple. And so there's something with anger that you can actually operate in it in a, in a sense that's actually not toxic. It's not poisonous. But when it comes to the spirit of anger, that's when you allow this darkness to actually drive you out of self-control. It's interesting, you know, when you read about the fruits of the spirit in Galatians, there's nine fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And the last one is self-control, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. Every fruit of the spirit, hell or the devil can actually pervert. Mm-hmm. There is a, almost like a, a second class version of the fruit of the spirit. So love, the world has a perverted, distorted picture of love, joy, the, the world has a distorted picture of joy, peace, good on the roster, all of them. Mm-hmm. We have these, but the one thing that you can't reproduce is self-control. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when people become victims of a spirit of anger, they lose their self-control. That's good. Wow. Yeah. That is profound. Mm-hmm. We could talk about that for another hour. Do you want to tell them about the, the time when we were newly married we got in an argument as young marrieds do. I was trying to tell Rochelle why she was wrong. Yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember you know, we got angry, you know, as a newly married couple. And I remember Mark and I would always tell each other, we're not going to go to bed angry. You know, the Bible talks about not to go, let the sun go down on your wrath. And yeah. I remember we did go to bed angry and mad at each other. And I thought Mark was wrong. He thought I was wrong. But I remember waking up and our youngest, she came running in the room and she had this horrible nightmare. And, and that anger caused that, that opened a door, opened a door. And then she just, and she never had a nightmare like that and she could not go back to sleep. So we had to pray for her. And then Mark and I realized, Hey, we need to shut the door to this anger in our home. And we did. And she fell right asleep 
so much peace came in the home. But that was a story about that Mark and I learned at that time not to go to bed angry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. People apply these principles because mm-hmm. it almost seems incredible. But that is completely spot on. Natalie's raising her eyebrows because we see gnarly things in our office. Oh, my goodness. Because of the level of darkness that's upon this generation. And you've been, you've experienced some of it firsthand. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Firsthand. I've I've experienced it. I have seen it. I've dealt with it in my own marriage. And Mm. I mean, it's so prevalent nowadays and you can't ignore it anymore. No, you You really can't. Good word, Natalie. Mm-hmm. Can't, it can't be ignored. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, anger. Wow, and anger makes it makes you vulnerable to be easily deceived. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're angry long enough, you can get to this point that you're so numb that mm-hmm. you, it's just easy to believe anything and everything. You even find this. I mean, I think I was listening to your last podcast about the sound of freedom, and I think Natalie, you gave the warning about people that just get so overtly. They almost become so desensitized to truth yeah. mm-hmm. that they don't believe in anything anymore. That's right. And they just lose exactly. all trust in everything. And they start getting deceived by The top spins all of it. too fast. Yes. Exactly. Everything comes out. You can't come up for air. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And really the basis, you know, theologically for this spirit is it's pride. There's mm-hmm. something in pride that mm-hmm. leads us to deception. And a lot of times these people will fear rejection. So they'll make things up. They'll begin to lie. A lot of pathological liars, they mm-hmm. actually are so deceived themselves. They'll make up stories to basically make themselves look in a way that, that, that isn't accurate. And they begin to believe their own lies. And there's a story even about a couple in the New Testament, actually after the resurrection of Jesus named Ananias and Sapphira, that actually mm-hmm. go on the record to lie. And we know the story didn't end very, very well for them. They actually, yeah. they died and mm-hmm. they got caught lying in a very holy atmosphere. You know, Dallas Willard, one of my favorites was actually the, the head chair at, at USC. And he talked about this, that there was such a high level of glory flowing through the New Testament church mm-hmm. that there was no insulation for these two when they operated in a deceptive way. They grieved the spirit of God. And it'd almost be like he used the analogy of like grabbing a high voltage electricity line. You know, I was just going to say that Mm. because Natalie hears me explain this all the time, but it's a violation Mm. that you commit against yourself. It's like committing suicide almost because if the law of God is written in your heart and your conscience bears witness and you not only start believing your own self-deception, but you embark on deceiving others, it's really an assault you're committing against yourself. And that's why God hates it because they self-destructed. He didn't kill. I mean, they self-destructed because he put these laws in motion, right? Laws of nature, self-evident truth, our natural affections bear witness of them. When we violate them, we begin to die. Yes. Mm. One of my triggers is when people blame God for the consequence of these portals that we open. Exactly. It's a trigger for me, and it's hard to not... I have to remember Francis Schaeffer and how much I loved and respected Mm. his approach to dealing with difficult conversations, because... No, you're doing this to yourself. This yeah. is the consequence of decisions you've made. Absolutely. Yeah. So this deception is and it's just, such a big deal. Because even Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. And so I really personally believe, or shall I live this out, that I think in many ways the level of your freedom will be connected to your honesty. Mm-hmm. That you'll 100%. only be as free as you are honest. And there's a lot of people like like you're talking about that go numb. Their conscience gets seared, violated. Mm-hmm. Paul uses the word seared. 
as with a hot iron because a good conscience comes from doing from actually obeying, you know, when you feel like I need to apologize to this person, but I'm not. <laughs> if you don't listen to that voice, mm-hmm. it's like any other voice. If you ignore it long enough, they'll find someone else to talk to. And I think that many times God will speak to us. Hey, make this right. Do this thing. Take an action step. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do that, we get into trouble. And it might mean get out of this relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Quit this job. Yes. Mm-hmm. Don't sign that contract. Yes. Mm-hmm. Natalie and in the growth stage that we're at, we're all making huge sacrifices, but they're choosing to do that with a beautiful, humble, tender hearts. But should God say no more, Mm. right? Or should your conscience say no more? I can't bear it. We all have to make those appropriate decisions so it can be applied to so many different things, right? So So think outside of the box about these things. We just don't have time to delve into them too much. Mm -hmm. Adultery is a big mm-hmm. one because people mm-hmm. associate adultery with just sex yeah. but it's more complicated than that for yeah. sure for sure there's multiple layers and it is interesting that obviously adultery usually it's not something you can participate in mm-hmm. unless there was anger before it and deception before it those they all seem to kind of travel together and often it's even fear i mean a lot of times fear is in the foundation of adultery you know i missed out i married the wrong person i'm, I'm never going to be happy here i deserve this there's some sort of, you know, unwarranted fear that could lead to anger, deception that causes lies. And that obviously is the breeding ground of where this where this takes place. It's obviously mentioned in Hosea 412, but it refers to really the spirit of adultery. It refers to illicit sexual activity, Mm -hmm. one which is adultery. It starts by entertaining really the lust in our heart. That's right. Fornication. It's in our heart. We talk about internal, external. Exactly. And it's interesting because a lot of people say, well, you know, I didn't actually act on it. I just thought about it or I just looked mm-hmm. at it. I just watched it. And it's interesting, you know, even in the church world that I'm in, mm-hmm. a lot of times even believers or Christians will say, well, I'm not under the law anymore. I can look. I'm under grace. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times people misunderstand that Jesus and grace, they don't reduce. They actually grace elevates the mm-hmm. bar. That's right. You know, Matthew, mm-hmm. he says in Matthew five twenty eight. You know, he says, Jesus said this, who is the personification of grace and truth. And he said, you've heard it said that he who commits adultery with a woman mm-hmm. commits adultery. He says, but I, whose I, Jesus is grace mm-hmm. and truth under the new covenant. He says, I say to you that he who looks with a woman in his heart has already committed adultery. So you see that God does not lower the standard. He actually, because his power in us can make us live at a level we couldn't live by ourselves elevates the standard that and the implication is the desires of the heart right yes. because it's not the have to's it's yes. the want it. to's mm-hmm. and you explained that so mm-hmm. well that's right mm-hmm. so yeah spirit of adultery and then uh infirmities it was so good. The spirit mm. of infirmity. Yes. I was so impacted mm. by the concept of voice mm. and posture mm. because it's all tied into this disintegrating identity mm. that started with fear, yeah. heaviness, jealousy, anger, deception, adultery. Mm-hmm. And now look what we're heading here. Yeah. Infirmities. Mm. It really all becomes crushing. Yeah. Exactly. And it's interesting, the spirit of infirmity, it says in, in Luke 13, there was a woman for 18 years, she had a spirit of infirmity and it actually caused her, like you said, her posture, she was hunched over. Mm-hmm. She couldn't walk straight. Yeah. 
And it is interesting. I don't, I don't believe that every disease is sin related, but I do think that theologically there are times that the spirit affects the body and the Mm -hmm. body affects the spirit. And And these are generational transactions sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's interesting that he actually gives this, you know, takes authority and the woman straightens up after he Mm -hmm. took authority over the spirit of infirmity. And even Luke 11, 14, there was someone that was mute. And it's interesting that he used the same terminology, took, took authority over the spirit of infirmity. And I guess, I guess, you know, some ways maybe you can interpret that as, you know, if the spirit of infirmity lodges deep enough, it'll affect the way you walk, that you'll get hunched over. And this guy was mute. You'll lose your voice in the earth. If there a, there's a spirit that God does not desire to take basically a residence in you long enough, it could affect your walk and your talk. Wow. I see that. And even as you're speaking, I can think of three examples right now. Wow. And I can't wait to think deeply about these things Mm -hmm. that you're just rattling Mm -hmm. off because they're powerful. (laughs) They're profound. I hate to go through them so quickly, but last one, number eight. Spirit of divination. This is when people tap into dark power. Mm -hmm. You can't deny. I mean, you, you drive around even Laguna Beach and you go around Orange County psychic booths everywhere people want their palms red they want to go into this you know soothsayer they want to they want to mess with crystals and ouija boards and it's real it was at the lc fair this weekend was it oh yeah Yeah, Yeah, they have a full-on booth it's ancient i mean look at looking back with moses moses went into egypt to pharaoh's kingdom and every miracle that moses did they were able to reproduce to reproduce Mm -hmm. there was a power there to the point that when moses threw his, his stick down his stick became a snake. They were able to fabricate the same power. But I love the fact that it was his snake that ate all of their snakes. Mm-hmm. And it was almost as God was putting an explanation point that there is power in the world. It's a fallen power. It's a power that's on loan from the devil himself. But that power is a second class power. It doesn't usurp his authority. Yes. yes. Because he has no adversary. He has no like. Yes. Yes. Can I say something that just struck me? I just want to keep you guys here all day. <laughs> I just, but something that just struck me is even listening to some of Jonathan Kahn's material, but you think about the dark trinity, Baal, Ashtar, yep. mm-hmm. and Moloch. Yep. They can only pervert what's already been established and set in place because God has no adversary. So the best that evil can do is pervert, distort, confuse. Yeah. Right. And they do it through fear, heaviness, jealousy, anger, yep. deception, adultery, Infirmities and divination. Yeah. Yes. Serious stuff. Yes. Mm. And you see it. Acts 16, there was a slave girl that was reading fortunes. Mm. And that's right. Paul took authority over her. And he actually referred to it as a spirit of mm. divination. Mm-hmm. And even the sorcerer that we read about in Acts chapter 8, same thing. He was a sorcerer, a false prophet. And so there are. There's real, there's real darkness in the world. Mm. I always just tell people. Why would you want to be on the losing side? Yes. For me, I'm too competitive. One of the reasons I gave my life to Jesus is I hate to lose. Somebody asked me, how do you know it's a losing side? How do you know you're not on the losing side? Mm-hmm. And I said, law of nature, first law of nature, mm-hmm. irrefutable law of nature. And yeah. what's that? Mm-hmm. Life. Yeah. Yes. 
it doesn't advance life. It diminishes it. So yes. good. Mm-hmm. That's why. Absolutely. You infused so much life mm-hmm. into my view of many things pertaining to rest and better ways to explain them. You too, Rochelle. <laughs> I want to thank you so much because I think this is going to have significant consequences on the people listening. Mm-hmm. Final words. What are your thoughts, babe? Well, I think the the more that, especially Mark and I being in ministry, I think the more that we are moving away from Jerusalem or we're in a culture that's not looking like Jerusalem, but it's looking more and more like Babylon, I think we have to be more resolute and we have to be more like Daniel. We have to be more resolute and not crossing boundaries or lines and know that line that you know, we're in the world, but we're not of it. And so I believe we have to just be more resolute and um, know the God that we serve. I would agree with that. I think for anyone listening right now, you know, there's a story in the Bible in Kings about a guy named Elijah. And basically he challenged the nation and he said, look, if Baal is God, Mm. go after him. But if Baal isn't God and Yahweh is, Mm. go after him. Here's my issue. I don't want you to stand between two opinions. And C.S. Lewis probably said it best. He said, if God is real, he's of all importance. If Jesus is fake, he's of zero importance. The only thing that he cannot be is moderately important. So I feel like we're in a day to day in a in a moment in history that I almost feel like God is raising up the Elijahs that say there are bells in our land mm-hmm. without question and they're fake. And I know they're fake, and I know that they're fake because when they call on their power, um, the fire doesn't fall on their altars. Mm. And I believe that God is raising up men and women, especially in the church and the kingdom of God, that actually have the fire of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the living God, that are filling their services, filling their their offices, whether they're counseling Mm. someone, whether they're in the halls of Congress. I don't think that the spirit of God is limited to church work. I think it touches every single mountain of of society. And I think if I was looking for a counselor, I want a counselor that has fire on their altar. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking for an educator, I'm looking for a school that has fire on the altar. And if I'm looking for a church, I'm looking for a church Mm -hmm. that has fire in the altar. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of churches that have no fire, no presence. And I'm with you. I would never want to go to church if there was no interaction, exchange, or any type of encounter with God. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you're in, in Orange County, I'll give a little selfless plug here. Come check out our Oceans Church. Please. Yes. Every week, people are getting healed. Every week, we've had people from cancer. We've mm-hmm. had people from COVID. A guy on a ventilator for 65 days. They did a documentary. It's gone all over the Middle East. He's Egyptian. And they said there's no chance he's going to live. And our church began to pray for him. Yeah. And he did the impossible. He's alive. He's well. God's healed him, given him new lungs. Wow. Mm-hmm. We've had so many stories like this. There's actually a lady in our church, owns one of the largest TV networks in Canada, mm-hmm. had terminal cancer all over her body. We began to pray for her as a church. Mm. And she went to Canada for one last trip, came back, said, I'm feeling a little bit better. I want to see how much time I have left. Mm-hmm. They gave her a year. And uh, basically went into the doctor and all of the lesions of cancer in her body, her organs were gone. Wow. We see it. The technologies, the resources we use, Mm -hmm. see, measure, document things like this. And it's science. This is not voodoo, religious, bizarre, woo. No. No. Hokey pokey stuff. This is real. It's been happening since the Bible. As a man thinks in his heart, he is because thoughts have power, words have authority. Mm -hmm. I do have to say, 
that I am thankful Mm. that both of you came into California Mm. when so many people are leaving. Mm. We need to go to the eye of the storm, not walk away. Not because we are each other's adversaries, because we have so much hope and life. Yeah. To bring into what mm-hmm. feels like such a desperate situation. I agree. Yeah. Thank you so uh, much uh, uh, Thank you for, for living out us. your convictions. Oh, appreciate you having us all. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone. Oceans Church is located in Irvine and San Juan Capistrano. If you would like more information about Oceans, find out their service times and upcoming events, or listen to Pastor Mark's and Pastor Rochelle's messages, please go to OceansChurch.com. You can also listen by searching for Ocean Church's channel on YouTube. We hope to see you on Sunday. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.